I love you all so much. It feels like when I came here last night to do the service, like I've been gone for a year. Well, that's an exaggeration. feels like I was gone for a while, and it was just a week. And I, uh, I love and miss you so much when I'm not here, and it's great, great, great to be back with you. For all the wonderful ladies here, we wish you a wonderful Mother's Day. Um, as is my bent, I, I know this is a special day for the moms. There's no doubt about that. But if you're here and you don't have a child or you're not married, uh, we want to honor all the ladies of our church. I take this as a day to honor the women that God has so graciously brought into our lives. Amazingly, of all the places we could be in the in our Bible, in Acts chapter 16, we're at a, a place that, that, that shows and honors a woman by the name of Lydia. She's a remarkable woman. She is um, a lady, as you're going to see in a moment, that was a, a seller of purple fabric. In other words, she was a businesswoman. She was a successful businesswoman. And of all the people that God had Paul reach first when he goes to Europe. It's a woman, not a man. And she impacts her community. And so ladies, on behalf of all the gentlemen here at this church, whether you are a mom or not, we honor you. Would you please with me open your Bibles to the book of Acts, the 16th chapter. As you turn there, because I've um, missed a couple weeks, or at least a week, and um, I just want to kind of refresh our, our memories over what has just taken place. If you recall, Paul and Barnabas were going to go on a second missionary trip. Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back to the places that we visited and let's reassure the churches that were established and the people that we saw come to Christ, that, that the things that they are learning are so. Let's go back and, and, and encourage them. You remember what took place. Barnabas said, okay, knowing that they were going to a place that was quite dangerous, places that were quite dangerous. In one, in Lystra, Paul almost lost his life. They stoned him, left him, supposing that he was dead. And so Paul says, let's go back to these places. Let's, let's encourage the, the people and the churches that we established. Barnabas says, you bet, let's go. Let's take John Mark. Remember what happened? Paul says, no, no. I'm not, I don't want John Mark to go on this trip with me. He has proven to be unfaithful. When we were there last time, he turned tail and went home. We need somebody this trip that's going to have our backs. So, no, not John Mark. So... As we saw, Barnabas was persistent, wanted to take John Mark. Paul was just as persistent, didn't want to take him, so they split ways. Didn't split their friendship. They just agreed to disagree. Later in life, we find out that Paul asks for John Mark because Barnabas must have built into John Mark's life so wonderfully about the things of Christ that that Paul says, send me John Mark, he is useful to me for service. So they split up, and what we found was that Paul took a guy named Silas. Silas was a prophet. 
And so it was perfect that he would take someone who knew the Word of God, could teach the Word of God, to go on this trip with him. On this trip, he teams up with someone that he met the first time he went to Lystra, and that was Timothy. And he, Paul, is going to disciple and bring Timothy into this this place where he also is going to be a discipled, be discipled, and be a wonderful, faithful man of God on behalf of Paul. What we saw in that lesson was, two weeks ago, was that there is none of us in this room that, that are beyond being taught. We all should be taught as students, and we should all be teachers to someone. There are some people that you and I can reach for the cause of Christ, and there are some people that will reach us with the wonders of the Bible. We are to be students and teachers all of our lives. We also saw, as we studied in the 16th chapter, that Paul allowed God to lead him. As we saw a couple weeks ago, when Paul went to one city and another city, he continually was stopped, even to the degree that he wasn't allowed to, to share his faith in Asia, which to me was amazing. And yet we don't see any indication that Paul is upset. He just says, okay, he goes to another place, and he goes to another place, until finally we saw in verse 10 that he had a vision of someone calling him to Macedonia. And what we saw was this. Even though Paul was stopped in every place that he wanted to go, he still had the, the faithfulness to wait upon God's allowing him to see where and when and how he was to minister. He waited till the Lord God opened the door. And so we learned from that, that we are to be teachers and we are to be taught. And we're to allow God to move in our lives in His timing, not ours. Not forcing our agenda upon God, but letting God move and, and work in through our lives. And so, Paul now is called with Silas to go to Macedonia. They go to a place called Philippi. It was the leading city in Macedonia. They had been, where it says in verse 1 of chapter 16, to Lystra before. That's where they met Timothy. That was when Paul and Barnabas took their first missionary journey to that area. Remember, it was in Lystra where... Paul and Barnabas healed this guy who was born lame. The people were so ecstatic that they named them gods, small g. Hermes, Hermes, Hermes and Zeus. They were, they were beside themselves of the impact that Paul and Barnabas had in their community. Now we don't know how. But soon thereafter, a group of Jewish men come from Iconia and, and uh, Antioch. And they convince the people that Paul is a scoundrel. So much so that the people decide to stone Paul to death. And as we saw in the 14th chapter, the 19th verse, they left Paul supposedly dead in the streets. But he didn't die. 
And so it is here in Lystra where we met up last time where Paul met Timothy. And Timothy was going to play a key role in the life of Paul. I want you to see this. Now, I want you to note, ladies, this is really a message for you. And this is not pre-planned. This is just where we land. We land upon a woman. Is she okay? We land upon a... It's okay if you don't feel bad. I don't. Okay. Anyways, we land upon this woman named uh, Lydia. And I'll sh- I'll, I will demonstrate that in a moment. But let me just set the tone. Paul met Timothy. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 for a moment. Hold your place in Acts chapter 16. The reason I want you and me to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is, 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 is a major reason. I have been sharing with you all along, almost week in and week out, that God has given to you and me orders on how to do church. You and I do not have the right to change what God has constructed or construed or given orders for church to be established and how it's supposed to run. We learned in the book of Acts, as I taught in in the second chapter, that, that the apostle said, we need to find people in the church who are continually devoted to the things of God. And then they mentioned as I said to you over and over again, the four things that are essential within the family of God. And that is the teaching of the apostles. In other words, learning the Bible, having fellowship with one another, having communion and praying for one another. Those things are essential within the church. They are established, but it's not just the book of Acts that teaches us this. Paul mentions Timothy in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Paul says, for this reason, I have sent you Timothy. This is how much he thinks of Timothy. He says, he is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Paul led Timothy to Christ and Paul discipled, taught Timothy the things of God. And he says in that same verse, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he, Timothy, will remind you of my ways which are in Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, Timothy is going to remind you what I have taught you, what I have done. They are my ways, but they're not my ways, says Paul. They are the things that I found in Christ. These are what Timothy is going to remind you of. Just, Paul says, at the end of this great verse, just as I teach everywhere in every church. And so I note to you, I I make this statement to you, can you and I do anything less than to continue to teach God's word just as the apostles taught us? As you're going to see today, Paul went nowhere that he didn't teach faithfully the Word of God. And when he sends Timothy out, he says, Timothy is going to do the same thing that I did. He is going to remind you of what I taught you. And so we have said over and over again that from each generation, from the first generation, when when we study here in the book of Acts, to the next generation that came after them, they were given orders, this is how you do church. You teach the Word of God. 
You have fellowship with one another. You have communion when you need it, and you pray for one another. That's the basis of church. And for any church to change that order is an anathema. It is wrong. It is so against the very Word of God. And there are a number of churches that, that, that for whatever reason, they want to maybe draw a crowd. They, they don't want to offend. So they, 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 they start their church with the whole idea of let's not have the Bible. You know, they'll go to the congregation. Don't bring your Bibles. Because when people come in who are visiting us, we don't want to... We don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Whereas that is exactly what the Bible was called to do. The Bible was given to you and me to make us uncomfortable with ourselves. The Bible teaches us clearly that every single one of us is a sinner. And every single one of us needs to be saved by the grace of God. That's the reason the Bible is written. It's to, to make you and me feel uncomfortable ourselves so that we... we We see the need for a Savior. And as we're going to learn today, that cannot be possible apart from the Word of God. The Word of God must be taught. It must be given to the people that come. And and if you're here visiting to us, you need to know that truth. You don't need to be coddled and say, you you know, God really loves you just as you are. No, He doesn't. He wants you to come to know His Son. He wants you to rely upon His Son for the forgiveness of of your sin so that you can be right before God. And so Paul says, I'm sending you Timothy. He's going to remind you of the things that I have taught everywhere I go at every church I go to. And folks, you and I, we we cannot do anything less than that. Now, we are told that Timothy was a true child of the faith. He was brought to Jesus Christ by Paul. Paul discipled him, taught him. And when Paul initially visited Lystra, it was there that he met up with Timothy. So Timothy must have said to Paul on this second journey that he started off, can I go with you on this missionary journey? And you remember what Paul must have said to him? Sure. He must have said, yes, he found them faithful, but he says, I want you to be circumcised. And remember, we learned in the 15th chapter that circumcision was meaningless. Circumcision didn't have anything to do with salvation. But what we did learn out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 was Paul says, look it, to the Jew I want to be like a Jew, to the free man I want to be like a free man, to the person who is weak I want to be weak. He said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, He says, I want to be all things to all people so by the grace of God I might save some. And so what he did was, is he made Timothy be circumcised so that there would not be an issue wherever they went in in Europe. And so Timothy did, as, as Paul instructed. Paul expected the same commitment from Timothy that Paul gave to the Word of God. With that in mind, Paul now journeys to Macedonia, to a city called Philippi. He saw a vision that said, go there. Read with me. No, wait. Before we start to read, this is the juncture where Dr. Luke now joins Paul, Timothy, and Silas. 
We're not sure why Luke joined them at this issue, but I believe he did because Luke and the others must have known if Paul is going on this journey back to these places where they took his, where they wanted to take his life, we better have someone go along with him that can really help him. Luke, being a physician, a doctor, goes alongside of, of Paul, hope, probably in the hopes that he could help him if anything happens to him, if he gets beaten again or whatever. You're going to note that it, that it is true that, that Luke teams up with Paul because from verse 10 to verse 15, you'll note how many times he says, we and us. All of a sudden, Luke includes himself on this journey. Now, read with me from verse 10 to verse 15. When he had seen the vision, he's talking about Paul, Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, putting out to sea from Taurus, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we we were supposing that there would be a, a place of prayer. We sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Verse 14 says, And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Ladies, this is a great message of great interest to you who are here today. It is also a great message for us men to hear. And so I, uh, I pray that God will touch your heart as we study this place in Scripture. Please pray with me. Father, we want to thank you for every, every single lady that you have brought to us this church. We know this is the celebration of Mother's Day and we, we honor the moms. But Father, for those who do not have children, for those who are not married, we honor every woman, young and old, here in this, this congregation because without them... Um, I have no idea where we'd be. Father, us men need the heartbeat of a woman. We need their tenderness, their insights. We need the things that, that only they can bring and help each and every one of us. And so, Lord, we ask your blessings upon the dear women of this church. We ask, Father, that you would open up our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law, the very Word of God that we have just read. And we ask also, Father, that you would move me aside that you would take the person that gives this message who is really meaningless, but that we might center in and concentrate on your words so that we might see what it is you want to say to each of our hearts individually. Bless us, dear Father. We pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Timothy is joined now by Dr. Luke. Paul has Dr. Luke standing alongside of him. He's got Timothy, who he calls his faithful child in the Lord. And now he has another faithful friend who is standing alongside of him.
for the rest of his journeys on this missionary trip. I stopped at this moment and I thought, wow, Dr. Luke joining him, what, what could be the reasons? It, it doesn't really say. And yet I know that he was a physician and, and we're going to find out over and over again that, that poor Paul got beat up all the time in these places. He was thrown in prison. He went through very difficult times. And Luke was there by his side. And I thought to myself, man, without faithful and loyal friends, life is empty. It's meaningless. And there's nothing in life quite like a friend. It's a good thing to have friends and to be a friend. And I see that out of Dr. Luth in the life of Paul, as we're going to see it over and over again. So these men, the four of them, Luke, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, take off on this missionary journey. In the hopes of doing the only thing that a missionary wants to do, and that is to help people come to know the true knowledge of true freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ tells us, folks, you need to know, there is only one way to experience genuine freedom in this life in which you and I live. There's only one way to set our hearts free from the bondage of sin and death. Jesus said these words. You'll know. You don't need to turn. It's in John chapter 8, verse 32. You don't need to turn. I'm going to go right back. In fact, if you want to look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah is in the middle of the Old Testament about. You go to the middle of the Old Testament, it's the book of Psalms. Turn to the right a little bit and you'll find Jeremiah. It's a big book, the 13th chapter. But let me tell you what Jesus says while you're turning there. Listen, it's important. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? You are, I told you you'd know. Most of you do. You should know the truth. In other words, you shall know this. This is the only truth. And this shall set you free. Now, what you need to know is what Jeremiah warned in the Old Testament. And he is saying, Jeremiah is saying, that this freedom that you and I can experience does not come through our human efforts. It, it has to be a change. It has to be a a spiritual change within our lives to experience this freedom. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, Jeremiah says, he asks a rhetorical question talking about how you and I as human beings cannot change ourselves. It must be from above. He says, can an Ethiopian change his skin? He says, can a leopard change his spots? The answer, of course, is no. He then, therefore, says, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil? Rhetorically, the answer is no, you cannot. You and I do not have the capabilities of doing good because innately, the Bible says, all of us have sinned. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It goes on to say, a couple of chapters later in the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, the wages of this sin that you and I have is what? It's death. But 
The free gift of God is eternal life in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the promise that the Bible makes to you and me. And so the message that Paul and these men are taking to those in Europe is that there can be a change. You can be set free from the bondage of sin and death, but that comes through a commitment to Christ. Therefore, the transformation from spiritual death to eternal life, from darkness to light, from Satan's kingdom to God's eternal kingdom comes only to those as Jesus Christ himself reasoned. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, on your way back to the book of Acts. This is an amazing place in Scripture. Jesus Christ is explaining to the people in John chapter 1, it says in verse 11, look, He came to His own, Jesus did, own meaning the Jews, and those who were His own, they did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in His name. Now, how did they become children of God? Verse 13 is what I wanted you and me to look at. Look. They were not born of blood. In other words, they weren't born by birth or by a particular race or, 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 or a certain people. You, you don't get it just by birth. Nor do you get it by the will of the flesh. In other words, the will of the flesh is by doing anything good, doing something that will make God finally like you by being good enough. You cannot get it by the flesh. Nor can you get it by the will of man. In other words, you can't get it by just being persistent. By golly, I'm going to be good before God and He's going to love me. You cannot do it by persistence or by your own will or by religion. No, it only comes but of God. This eternal life that you and I can receive does not come by our birth into a certain family or a certain group of people, nor does it come by our doing enough good, nor does it come by our being persistent. It must come by God. God must give you everlasting life. That's the only way we can receive it. Only through this transformation of our lives does true freedom come. Paul writes as much. Before we go to Acts... This is the last place we'll stop. Romans chapter 8 and Romans 6. Look at Romans chapter 8. Paul says as much. He says in Romans chapter 8 verse 2. He says the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And that choice is yours and mine alone. Romans chapter 6 now. Look at verses 16, 17, and 18. Paul reasoned with the people that he came in contact with. He says in verse 16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which will result in death, or of obedience, which will result in righteousness. But, he says in verse 17, Thanks be to God 
that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. Verse 18, And having been freed from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. That's what I want for all of us here, you and me included. I want us to become obedient to the point of righteousness, to the obedient of following the law of God, to the obedience of knowing what is written within these pages so that we can follow after what God wants and desires of us. And that doesn't come just by persistence. It comes by being born again from above. Now, the perfect example of that is this dear lady called Lydia in Acts chapter 16. Finally, we get to where we should be. She is a a wonderful example of having this freedom. She became a liberated woman by listening to Paul. Paul goes to Macedonia. He has a vision of a man calling him there. Dr. McGee writes in his commentary, the man in the vision of Macedonia is none other than a woman called Lydia. Paul goes to Macedonia, to its leading city called Philippi. And as Paul's custom, as you and I have learned... Every time he went to a city, a new place, he would go to where? To preach. A synagogue. He would go to the synagogue to preach. It was there in the synagogue. He said to those that were there, you and I love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I have come to you to tell you that your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has given us our Messiah. And if you have missed Him, He said, He is alive. They crucified Him. They put Him on a cross. They buried Him dead. Three days later, He rose from the dead and you can know Him now and He will set you free from your bondage of sin and death. Paul would give that message to the synagogues. He went, don't you know, that raised a lot of eyebrows and and a lot of people got angry at Paul, but he preached that message. I'll prove it to you in a moment. But here in Macedonia, Philippi, he doesn't come to a man. He comes to women who are assembled by the riverside. That only women are mentioned here is evidence that there was a lack of leadership from the men in that city. That is why it is my contention, guys. It is essential that you and I as a church, as men, become the spiritual leaders, become the spiritual leaders within our church, within our families, within our our lives. There is nothing that a woman wants more from a man than to find a man that truly is in love with his God and in love with his wife and in love with his family. If you don't think that's true, you ask your wives or your girlfriends or your women family members. They want a man who understands the God whom he loves. I am here to say to you with all of my heart, men's ministry is essential. And men, the more you love your Savior, the more you will love your wives, your children, your family, your friends. 
So for these women to be by the riverside and to be taught by a traveling rabbi, in this case Paul, was no doubt a very rare privilege for them. And at this moment in time, in verses 14 and 15, God, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, touches the heart of a woman called Lydia. Now, it's very significant and it's very interesting that the first people that Paul reaches in Europe that God called them to were women. It's interesting because Paul is often described for those who misinterpret what Paul taught, he is often described as a male chauvinist who rejects the role of a woman within a church. But obviously, he is not prejudiced against these women because his eagerness to share with them and to teach them demonstrates anything but that. Lydia, as we learn in verse 14, was a seller of purple fabrics. Now, just to know this, purple dye was very difficult to to find. It was very expensive. And to dye fabrics purple was a very expensive business decision. And normally only people of royalty or of great wealth wore purple. Therefore, Lydia selling purple fabrics meant that she was a very profitable businesswoman. Indicated by the fact, if you'll note in verse 15, she had a house large enough to accommodate all of Paul's party. She says in verse 15, Come into my house. Paid for it with my own money, Jack. Come into my house and you stay with me. She said to Paul and his party, In verse 14, what you and I will see are three things that set her apart. Lydia was no different than in chapter 9 when we saw Philip being told by God, I want you to go to Gaza. I want you to go on this desert strip. He was in Samaria having a wonderful ministry, Philip was. God says, I want you to go to Gaza. And when he went on that road, do you remember who he found in a chariot? God bless you, Max, God bless you. He found that Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch went from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to try to find out about God. He wanted to worship God. He didn't find out anything in Jerusalem. On his way back to Ethiopia, he was reading out of Isaiah. Philip runs alongside of his chariot and says to him, Do you understand what you're reading? Remember? In in Acts chapter 9. The Ethiopian eunuch looks at Philip and says, how can I unless someone guides me? It's like you and I, we need people to help us understand the Word of God. Sometimes it doesn't just all fall into place. Someone needs to explain things to us. We need to study the Bible line upon line, word upon word, so it starts to take form and we start to understand what is happening. So this Ethiopian says, no, I, 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 I need someone to help me. And so he invited Philip on his chariot, and it says that Philip told him from where he was reading, leading him to Christ. The Ethiopian got saved, asked Philip, what's preventing me from being baptized? And he says, nothing. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be baptized. Lydia is the same thing. 
It says in verse 14, she was a worshiper of God, but I am here to say to you, she had no idea what God she was trying to worship. She didn't know that much of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, more than likely. She didn't know that much about the Savior, more than likely. We have no indication. But what we read in verse 14 is just, it's amazing. Look at it. It says, a certain woman named Lydia, the city of Thyatira, was a seller of purple fabrics. She was a worshiper of God. She was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken of by Paul. She was a worshiper of God, but she just wanted to know this God that, that, that fills this great universe in which we live. How can I know Him? And so she secondly listened she listened to what Paul's message was. Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, allowed her to respond to the things that Paul said. God opened her heart. And she said yes to him at that point in time. What did she respond to? What in the world did Paul say? I know. It's not written here, but I know. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul tells us exactly what he preached wherever he went. The message is clear from Scripture. What did Paul say that moved her heart so dramatically? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, When I come to you, brethren... I do not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. I was with you in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of of the Spirit and of power. Paul's message never varied. He preached to them nothing more and nothing less except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And he came to them with much fear and trembling. Paul admitted when he went to, First Corinthians, when he went to Corinth, he says, I'm not the preacher that Apollos is. He's more of an orator than me. But don't you know, folks, it's not your ability to speak and what moves a person's heart towards God. Do you know what, you, what, what happened last week if you were here when Hank spoke? How many of you know that he was quoting out of the book of Revelation, the first chapter, verbatim, without using his Bible? He has put the Bible to memory. I don't know how much of it he has because he won't say. But when he taught us men a while back, he, he quoted the whole, I don't know how much, of, of, of the book of Philippians. Without reading it. He was quoting it. And I, I was opening my Bible and I was sitting alongside of Wes. And I said, Wes, look, look. He is quoting it verbatim. And he tells us that he is not a preacher. He doesn't like to speak that much. And so when he comes to you to speak, he doesn't come with power. I mean, excuse me. He doesn't come with, with persuasive words. He brings to you the very Word of God so that it might touch your soul. 
That is why I can't believe churches that don't open up their Bibles and preach the Word of God to the people of God so that it might move you and me to become all that God wants us to become. And so Paul says, look, this is what I teach wherever I go. I want, I have determined in my heart among you that you know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so, back to Acts chapter 16 as we close. This dear lady Lydia and her household were baptized. And remember, baptism is just an outward sign of our new identification with Christ. It is an act of obedience by the new believer and plays no role in your or my salvation. It is just an outward sign of what has taken place in our hearts. And she is such a leader that she has her and her household all come to Christ and be baptized. The role of the woman within Christianity, within church, the Bible is filled with example of women who are greatly used by God. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there's Deborah, there's Ruth, there's Hannah, there's Esther, there's Mary, Priscilla, and, and here, Lydia, just to name a few. And in those days, the culture standard for a woman, they were often treated, and this is saying, this is really being kind, they were treated as second-class citizens in those days. But Christianity came, and our Lord came, and and, and, uh, raised women to previously unheard of status within the family of God. Nowhere is that better seen than when Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither free or slave. There is neither male or female. He says, rather, we are all one in Christ Jesus. God intends to use women to be allowed to utilize their God-given gifts in keeping with the teaching of the New Testament. And we'll do the same here at The Rock. We value the women of this church. Three years ago, when everything happened over at the other place, I was considering pulling the ripcord and saying, that's it, I'm done. There was one person that wouldn't let me quit, among many but one especially, and that was Laura Chandler. Laura Chandler came to my wife and me and she says, you can't quit, John. We need to start a church, John. We need to go. And I said, we have nobody that will come. We have no place to meet. And she says, I believe that God will open the door. You preach, they'll come. And she looked at us dead in the eye and she says, if Ralph and I have to sell our home and live in a tent, we'll follow you. This church, for the most part, is built upon the strength of one woman who wouldn't let me quit. Now, of course, my wife, of course, Wes and Fred and Mike and others, but Laura Chandler, folks, this church is built upon her faith. I looked her in the eyes and said, Laura, where are we going to meet? She says, we'll find a place. 
And so a phone, I got a phone call from a pastor friend of mine saying, you can use my facility for two weeks, but then another church is coming in and, and you'll have to leave. And, and I looked at everybody and says, what happens after two weeks? What happens after two weeks? Laura says, God will give us a place. God will give us a place. And the theater opened up to us. Ladies, you are of great value to us as a church. Each of us as men ought to thank God for you, what you bring into our lives. Men, let's be the, the spiritual leaders that God has called us to be within the lives of our wives and mothers and, and friends that we have, women. And so with that in mind, in this particular message in mind, I, I say to you, Happy Mother's Day. But not just to the moms. I say to each and every one of you, to every single woman in this building, whether you be young or old, with or without children, we thank God for all that you mean to us. You ladies are the very beat of our hearts here at the Rock Community Church. And so we will give you just a, a token there's no way we can thank you enough for all that you mean. May God bless you this day, ladies and gentlemen. Let's love on the women that God's brought into our lives. Dear Father, I want to thank you for Lydia, just the example of her, and how Paul comes and starts a movement for Christ through women. And I understand that wholeheartedly. Thank you for the women that you've brought into my life as well, Father. And now, dear Father, will you allow this day to be special for all the families, all the women of our church. May we honor them. Thank you for each one. So importantly, Father, may we as men be the spiritual leaders that you've called us to be in the lives of our most precious women. I thank you for this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Have I ever told you how much I love you? Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.